Today's episode is a fun debate. It really won't be a debate by the end, but some people are, are thinking, are you going to go political now for the first time? No, I'm talking about Roth versus pre-tax, how to think through it specifically for an early retirement, because what a lot of you are doing is the following, and nothing wrong with this thinking, but you're going, yeah, I'm in a higher tax bracket today, so I'm not going to do Roth. I'm going to do pre-tax, get that deduction, and then in the future, when I take the income out, hopefully I'm in a lower tax bracket. So I won't be taxed as heavily. Nothing wrong with that. A lot of you are going, you know what? I've actually got a a little bit of a gap between I take my next job or maybe I'm I'm just not making as much as I used to because I'm doing something that I enjoy a whole lot more, but maybe it doesn't pay as much. So you know what? I'm going to do Roth. I'm going to add more dollars. I'm happily going to pay taxes now so that in the future, I'm never taxed ever again. Nothing wrong with that, but there's another level to planning. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is how do you make the decision of pre-tax versus Roth? in light of an early retirement. Because level one is, okay, what makes sense? Pre-tax or Roth based on where I am, future tax brackets, when I want to retire. Level two is saying, okay, what accounts should I have that I just don't know about? And to what extent is enough in each type of account? So you might be going, oh my gosh, that sounded like Portuguese. But I promise you there's validity to this. I'm going to tell you why. I want to make sure you have the right amount in each bucket, not to the you know, scientific degree, but for your specific plan. Because if you want to spend 5,000 a month or 10,000 a month, that's going to change exactly how much you have in your portfolio because you might not need as much as your neighbor, your coworker. So I've given this basic example before, but I'm going to give it one more time before I hop into my real fun example. Now, before I even go into either of those, I am, of course, of course, excuse me, the host of the Early Retirement Podcast, the vice president here at Root, and a certified financial planner. One of my editors once said, hey, do you want me to take out all of those, you know, not just ums and uhs, because I try to keep those to a minimum, but if you say something wrong, and I said, no, I just think it adds authenticity. I was listening to another podcast recently, and it just felt so edited. I didn't know if I was actually listening to the person, or if it was like an auto-tuned version of the person. So if that is frustrating to any of you, of course, please let me know and submit a question on my website, earlyretirementpodcast.com, or say, no, this is super helpful. Like this is the type of content I want. It feels real. It is authentic. So with that being said, let's hop in. What I want to do is really make sure you understand that I do not believe in cookie cutter planning. And here's an example. Someone came to me and they had a hundred percent in cash and they were 70 years old. And uh, another person said, Hey, I heard you talking about that with like another client recently that someone was at hundred percent in cash. You know, why would you even recommend that? And I said, well, you know, to be honest, there's more in-depth planning than what you might just see. And they're like, yeah, but you said someone has hundred percent cash. That never makes sense. Then another client came to me and they were like, Hey, does it ever make sense to have a hundred percent in equities? And I go, yes. And they go, well, well, I'm sure, but not for someone like in their fifties or sixties. Right. And I go, no, even then. And they're like, what do you mean? So here's an example I'll give. Real client came to me and they had about three and a half million dollars and that's just their investment portfolio. But they also had a pension that covered all of their needs. Now, a lot of you are going, oh my gosh, like what did this person do? They're crushing it. Um, um, some people laugh at this, but uh, I had a, a previous mentor call this the, the lucky sperm and egg club. Okay. So a lot of these funds were inheritance. And so what was happening is this person had a pension that covered all their needs, but they also had three and a half million dollars in their portfolio. So this particular client was like, Hey, I'm not attached emotionally to any of these stocks. And it's in this type of account. Like, what would you do? I said, I'd make it a hundred percent equities. And they're like, Oh my God. They like kind of took a step back. Go, how could you even recommend that? I'm getting older. 
and, and we educated the client on it and they were like, oh my gosh, I see it. What you're saying is that because my pension covers all of my needs, realistically, this three to three and a half million, if it went to zero, I'd still be okay. I go, that's correct. It doesn't mean you're not going to emotionally, um, you know, lose sleep if that three and a half million goes to one million. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying is you have the ability, not not the requirement, the ability to take on more risk than your average early retiree because you have a pension that covers all of your needs. I would think 100% equities is a horrible recommendation if they didn't have a pension that covers all their needs. But for example, if they have three and a half million dollars and they want to spend 4,000 a month versus someone that wants to spend $14,000 a month, the amount that they need in safe assets is going to massively differ. So you're going, why on earth are, are you explaining this? I go, here's why. When you're thinking about an early retirement, uh, beyond thinking about, do I have enough? What I want to do in retirement, all important stuff. Uh, I need to make sure that you're not leaving anything on the table unnecessarily, especially from a tax perspective. So a lot of you are going, hey, I thought you were going to just tell me, am I going to do Roth? Am I going to do pre-tax? Like, give me the answer. And unfortunately, I'm not going to. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to give you an answer. Don't get me wrong. You're going to get an answer. In fact, I think it's going to be more than what you were expecting. But here's what I mean by that. Someone once said, Ari, tell me my Roth conversion strategy um, when I'm in year 2030. And I said, no. And they're like, Ari, I, I, I'm your client. I'm paying you a lot of money. Why won't you do it? I go, yeah, I won't do it. They're like, what do you mean? I go, here's what I mean. What I don't want to do is essentially lay out this beautiful Roth conversion strategy where you move money from your IRA to your Roth IRA in the years where your income is low. And they're like, what do you mean? That sounds great. Like, that's what you talk about. Isn't that what I should do? And here's what I'll tell the client is I'll say, well, I know tax brackets are changing in 2026 and we want to do these Roth conversions. And so here's what the math says. The financial answer is absolutely do a Roth conversion, do it in these years, take advantage of a healthcare subsidy for a portion, then switch to Roth conversions. And then I go, wait a second. No, we don't want to do that. And they're like, I was following. Why are you taking me off the path? I go, here's why. What I know is I know your health. I know your energy. I know what you shared with me in our first meeting, which is you want to sail around the world with your spouse. I would rather you take $80,000, go do that, and then do Roth conversions for the rest of your life. Once you tell me that you say you don't want to travel as much. And at that point, yeah, your Roth conversions were not optimized on paper, but your life was. And I don't want you to be 90 going, we did great Roth conversions, but, but I actually didn't take the trip when I had my energy and my health and when that money was actually worth more. So my job as I see it is to essentially say, here's the financial answer. Do a Roth conversion, do tax gain harvesting, do all these cool, you know, tax techniques after you determine what you want in life. Most people do the opposite is they go, you know what, for my financial strategy, it makes most sense to actually retire in four years, um, not in three years, because I'll have X amount of more dollars. I go, that's true. But how often are you just going to keep pushing those goalposts back to say, yep, I'll just retire in one more year. Yeah, two more years. Yeah, one more bonus, then I'm done. Too many people do that. And I'm not going to let you because I am the meanest early retirement planner. I don't let anyone retire too early, but I also don't want you to retire too late where you have tons of money and you go, why didn't I retire earlier? So let's take this to the next level here. So what I want to do now is absolutely make sure you understand how I think through Roth and pre-tax. So let's assume someone comes to me and they have, uh, actually, I, I built out a, a very simple example here. I was going to illustrate it on the fly, but I built this one out for you. So I think this could be helpful. Let's assume that you have $100,000. Super easy. You have $100,000 that you've put into a Roth and you're in the 35% federal tax bracket. Now, some of you go, well, wait a second. I, I, that's just not possible. Isn't the, the maximum like 7,000 or wait, can I do 8,000? I'm over age 50. Just 
humor me for a second. So you can, let's assume you have 100,000, you put it into Roth and you're in the 35% tax bracket. Your taxes would be 35,000, meaning you're in the 35% tax bracket. You could have done anything with these dollars. $100,000 is going in to your Roth IRA, just an example. Now let's say that Roth grew to 400,000. What happened is you put in 100 in the 35% tax bracket, it's now worth 400,000. 300,000 of that is tax-free earnings, tax-free growth. Pretty simple so far. Um, now let's look at what was the total tax you just paid. Okay, so you put in $100,000, you paid $35,000 in taxes, now it's worth 400,000. You paid $35,000, pretty simple. Now let's take the same exact example because too many people overcomplicate this and start going crazy. Now let's do the same exact thing that was super simple with traditional. Now let's assume that you are in the 35% tax bracket today, nothing's changed at all, but when you're in retirement, you're gonna be in the 22% bracket because maybe there's a pension or rental income or something like that. And when you start pulling out the money, you're gonna be in the 22% bracket. So let's go through my same example. You now decide that you're gonna put you know, the, the full $100,000 um, into the traditional. So not into the Roth, but into the traditional. Now, you're going to owe taxes on that full $100,000 if you were to take it out in the future and you're in the 22% bracket. But let's use the same example. Compare apples to apples, not apples to oranges. In example one, we put in 100,000, grew to 400, 300 of growth. Let's do the same thing here. You put in 100, grew to 400,000. Now all you have is $400,000 that is in a Roth IRA that you paid taxes on early on, 35,000 bucks worth, and now it's worth 400,000. Now that's part A. Part B is you now have $400,000. You put in 100, but it all was growing tax deferred. Let's call it in your 401k, just an example. And now you have $400,000. And in the future, you're gonna owe 22% taxes on the 400,000. That's an $88,000 tax bill. So in example one, you had a $35,000 tax bill. In example two, you have an $88,000 tax bill. So I'll tell people, well, isn't that a no-brainer? And then people go, well, I see your logic here, but wait a second. Like, shouldn't I vary this? Like certain months or years, you know, I'm in this tax bracket and other years I'm in this tax bracket. I go, look at it really simply. The majority of you guys are high earners. You're probably in your early 40s, late 40s, early 50s, late 50s early 60s. That's the majority of you. You're reaching out going, hey, I'm in a high tax bracket in the future. I'm going to be in a lower bracket. What should I do? And so a lot of you are going, oh, I see Ari's point here. He's going to say that maybe I should do Roth because even though I'm in a high tax bracket, the money grows tax-free forever. And sometimes the answer is yes. Other times I say, you know what? No, you're in a high tax bracket. I want to make sure that you're adding dollars to, to you know your pre-tax account. You get that deduction today. And so People go, okay, I, I get it, but like, tell me the answer. Like, I'm not more clear at this point. I go, here's the answer. The answer is it depends how much you have in your pre-tax balance already. Because if you have a $2 million in a 401k and you're adding more dollars, even though you're in a high tax bracket, yes, you're getting a deduction for it, but at the same time, you're just adding to this future tax bomb that's going to happen. Now, if you're willing to do Roth conversions and be very strategic in your retirement and you're retiring at, for example, age 60 and go, well, I'm happy to add more dollars and get a deduction up here when I'm in the 35% bracket so that I can do Roth conversions once I'm in the 20% bracket or 22 or 15 or whatever it is. Well, well then at that point, it's almost a no brainer. We call that tax arbitrage. Get a deduction at 35%, convert it at 22%. 
But too many people simply look at that versus saying, okay, what's the overall tax allocation, which very few people talk about, of my whole strategy? So understand first and foremost, where are your assets? Is it 50% pre-tax, 50% Roth? Is it 75% pre-tax, 25% Roth? Is it 100% pre-tax, 0% Roth? And so if you have 100% pre-tax, even though you're in a high tax bracket, oftentimes they'll say, why don't you do Roth because you need some more diversification, not a crazy amount, but start moving a portion to that Roth 401k. Other times I'll say, you know what? I'd rather you do instead of adding dollars there, I'd rather you add money to a brokerage account. And people go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought this was like, Roth versus pre-tax and what should I do? And I go, oh yeah, nothing wrong with that at all. But the next level of planning is essentially going, what if you retire at 57 or 56 or 55 or let's take it 53? What if you retire at 53 or 54? Well, well now you can't use maybe the rule of 55 to, to access a 401k. You maybe can't use some of these other rules. And so what you might want to do is go, well, yeah, I know I could add dollars to my Roth or my pre-tax, but you know what? I'm going to add more dollars to my brokerage account because here's the real power of doing that. I call it the superhero account, which is you add dollars to your traditional brokerage account or your taxable or your joint or your individual, they all mean, excuse me, they all mean the same thing. The government makes it as confusing as possible to try to understand what the differences are. But the benefit of doing so is it keeps your income really low. So let's assume that you were to retire at 60 and you take money out from your IRA and you want to do Roth conversions. If you take out a hundred thousand from your IRA, the government just says, Hey, you know, You didn't work, but you made $100,000. That's all taxable. Now, from your brokerage account, it doesn't work that way. You pay what are called capital gains versus ordinary income as long as you hold it for over a year. So if you bought Apple stock, for example, for $1,000, now it's worth $100,000, that's a $99,000 gain that you're not going to be paying taxes on at 22 and and potentially 25 and 28% taxes as long as you've held it for over a year. You're going to be paying taxes at capital gains, which is way lower, and capital gains taxes don't increase your ordinary income brackets, which means quite simply, what happens is you can keep adding, you know, you could sell a home, for example, for $500,000 and you could have ordinary income taxes of zero. That doesn't increase your ordinary income. It's simply increasing your adjusted gross income. Now it becomes really complicated really quickly, but what I want you all to do is essentially look at your assets today. What portion is Roth? What portion is pre-tax? Should we add some brokerage account dollars to be able to add some more flexibility? Now I'm going to add one more layer to this, which you're going, oh my gosh, all right, I'm, I'm barely following at this point. Most of your podcasts are clear, but this for the first time feels like one that's almost starting to go over my head. I promise here's what I'm going to do for you. Break it down. What I want you to do whenever you're in doubt is if your cash flow allows for it, I want you to add more dollars to Roth. And you're like, no, but I'm in a high tax bracket. I personally believe that Roth, the the way I want you to frame it is just tax insurance. I'm not saying in the future you're going to be in a lower tax bracket. I don't know if you're going to be in a higher tax bracket, but what you're doing is saying, I'm happy to pay taxes where I am to never pay taxes ever again. Because if you're putting those dollars in Roth and it grows and grows and grows, all that compounding that's occurring is tax-free forever. So doing a Roth conversion, if you have a healthy amount in your pre-tax account, can be amazing. That's my cauliflower example that I tell all of you about. And if you haven't seen that, go ahead and check that out on YouTube where I talk about my cauliflower examples. I have other podcast episodes where I go through it in more detail as well. But what I want to make sure you are all doing is going, okay, when do I, just before even going to Roth versus pre-taxes, when do I want to retire? 
Is it five years, 10 years from now? How old will you be? Because if you're going to be 60, 62, 63, the truth is, of course, you could pull from your IRA, but does that make most sense? Of course, you could pull from your Roth IRA, but does that make most sense? More often than not, if you have a brokerage account, it helps keep your income lower to be able to do more Roth conversions, which are going to be way, way, way more effective than kind of quantifying the outcome of adding more dollars Roth or pre-tax. If you were to add essentially $10,000 to a brokerage account and then let that grow to 100000 and use that for the first few years of retirement, maybe one year or two years, and keep your income low to do Roth conversions, you can now move a ton of money from your IRA to your Roth IRA 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100,000 plus dollars. And it's going to be way more effective than you trying to debate, you know, should I add this 30,000 bucks to my 401k Roth or pre-tax? Yes, it's going to matter, but it's not near as effective. It's almost like debating whether or not you should buy coffee every morning or essentially taking way more time to research, should I buy that right car of a difference of five or 10 or 15 or $20,000. So that's one way to think about it. The next way is essentially to go, well, wait a second. What about some big expenses? Like I'm thinking about retiring early and I want to retire, but I've got to do this renovation or I'm still subsidizing my parents or I'm thinking about buying this thing for my home. Uh, what I'll often recommend is say, hey, if you have enough stocked away in Roth and pre-tax and brokerage, like, like uh, I almost say don't save anymore. Not because you couldn't, of course you could. And, and naturally you probably are where you are because you're a good saver, but I don't want you to oversave. And a lot of you do that. I would rather you actually under save once you've got to a position where you have plenty of assets. I'd rather you actually go spend more money and say, you know what? I'm going to make the renovation. I'm not going to do Roth or pre-tax. Maybe I'm just going to do the full match, but anything after that, I'm not going to do. And that's a common recommendation, meaning I'll oftentimes say, hey, what's your 401k match? And they'll say 3% or 5%. I say, great. Um, I want you to do the 5% full match. And normally you're going you're gonna to max out your 401k, but don't do that anymore. You already have such a healthy amount in your pre-tax account. I want you to take that other 20,000 bucks, put it to a brokerage account. And, and I want to use that in the first few years of an early retirement. Other times they say, no, you've already got a brokerage account. It's got healthy gains. I'd rather you go actually practice retirement. So I'm going to almost quasi force you to go spend it on, on a big trip. It's going to feel weird because you've never taken a trip like this, but I want you to do it to even understand, is that something you actually want to do in retirement? Because you might find it's not, and that $20,000 was an amazing test so that you can gauge actually how much travel you want to do in retirement. So it's like, what are the next level like pro strategies here versus simply Roth and pre-tax, which is what everyone does. And there's nothing wrong with that. You want to make the right decision, but it has to be made in context of your plan. When in doubt, and I have some really high earners that, that work with me, they're even doing Roth going, hey, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I just want to be really intentional about Am I potentially leaving money on the table? And if you have 100,000, 200,000, 400,000, if you have a lot of dollars, that's growing tax-free on your Roth IRA. It's powerful stuff. So want to make sure you're all thinking through that effectively. Now, some of you are going, oh my gosh, like, are you married to Roth IRAs? You love Roth IRAs. Like, I don't love them. What I love is a lot of the features are applicable to you guys, which is a Roth IRA, your heirs are not paying taxes on that. You already pay taxes on that. So God forbid something happens, you're now not adding a tax burden to them. Additionally, this is not going to impact what are called your IRMA surcharges in the future. So in the future, you're going to have a new tax bracket once you're 65, and there's Medicare premiums. And dependent on your income is your Medicare premiums are going to shoot up every single month. They're called IRMA surcharges, I-R-M-A-A. -A. 
your Roth IRAs don't count towards that. So it really is going to be helpful for you. In addition to that, Roth IRAs don't have required minimum distributions. So if you're worried about RMDs, yeah, we're, you better believe we're going to be considering Roth conversions and some of these strategies so that you do not have to get subject with RMDs that, that are excessive. Too many people say, oh my gosh, required distributions. That's horrible. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I want you to get those RMDs to a manageable level. I don't want you to overpay in taxes. And I've seen this before where people do too much in Roth conversions and then come to us and expect us to fix the issue. It's better to not do any conversions, make sure you do them properly and essentially go, okay, over time, based on how markets are moving, what are we going to do? So I always break it down for people in the following way. I'll say, hey, there's three numbers you need to know. Your NBB, your NBD, and your TB. And you're like, all right, like, are you just making this stuff up? I go, yeah, but but it resonates. So trust me on this. Um, the first one is NBB, no brainer bracket. What that means is no matter what, as long as you're on planet earth and you're with me on earth, we're filling up this tax bracket. It's a no brainer. That's like, hey, you know, very, very low hanging fruit. If we don't do that, I, I just couldn't even work with you. I, I couldn't sleep at night. It's a no-brainer. Then you have what's called your no-brainer dynamic bracket, your NBD, which is, hey, markets oftentimes are actually fluctuating throughout the year. And as opposed to us just sitting on our hands and when markets go down, just saying, I'm going to be a good long-term investor, let's be proactive and start doing more of these conversions. And, and then there's finally your TB. That's your tax bomb. That's saying, what if we don't do any of this at all? You just do nothing I talk about. In the future, you're going to have your TB, which is your tax bomb. What we don't want to do is simply say, yeah, I'll worry about taxes later because once it comes, it comes and it doesn't stop. Meaning those required distributions, they come and they're just going to keep coming. So you want to be really efficient and effective as to how you plan for all of these moving pieces. Now, this was a lot, I recognize. And so that decision of, should I do Roth? Should I do pre-tax? How do I think through it? Really understand, does a brokerage account make sense for your situation? Are you considering an early retirement? Do you already have a lot in your pre-tax account? If so, even though you're in a high tax bracket, maybe consider Roth. Maybe you're going, oh my gosh, no, this just further validated the fact that I'm going to do amazing Roth conversions and I'm going to still add dollars pre-tax. And then in a year from now, I'm going to retire and do these Roth conversions and all these cool tax techniques. And that's what I'm going to do. Great. Whatever this really helps you understand that that's why I do this. So I know this is a tax heavier episode, but hopefully really helpful for you guys to start to understand, okay, based on the timing of when I retire, how much I want to spend, what I want to do. Too many people just do the Roth versus pre-tax versus the, okay, should I actually do neither and practice spending in retirement and almost saying, what do I want to do? Really gauging what would make sense for me? Because I promise you are not going to look back and go, I'm so glad my average return was 8.326497%. You're going to say, I'm so glad I retired earlier, spent more time with my family, was able to make my spouse stress a whole lot less. And I was traveling and yes, I did great conversion. So my kids won't have to pay as much. It's a legacy play, but ultimately I'm in an awesome spot. So hopefully this episode was helpful. Once again, I know I'm not going to get to work with all of you, but if any of you are interested in working with us, please do, of course, apply to work with us. We bring on a limited number of people every single month. But over even that, I want you guys to, to keep getting helpful information. So if you have something you want me to make an episode on, earlyretirementpodcast.com is where you can submit your question. And I kindly ask that you do leave a review if this podcast has been even remotely helpful, helps more people find the show. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Early Retirement Show. If you have a question that you want answered in a future episode, you can always go to my website, earlyretirementpodcast.com. That's earlyretirementpodcast.com. And you can go ahead and submit a question that I'll look to answer in a future episode. Thank you all for listening. Please do rate it, review it, and share it with someone 
who you think would benefit from this information if there's anyone out there that you know. I certainly appreciate it, and I will see you all each week. Hey guys, it's me again. Please be smart about this. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as financial, tax, or legal advice. Consult with your tax preparer or financial advisor before taking any action. This podcast is for informational purposes only.